Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to reviewing horror on my blog, KeithRFoster.com and iHorror.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift in Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And that's me, yeah. Making those things, creating those things. Doing, drink, drinking this beer. What beer is it? Let's see. It is Cosmic Pyrokinesis, and it has a very Keith label. Oh yeah, it's I saw very, that at Trader Joe's. Metal. Yeah, your your new your new yep, beer distributor. Yep, got that. And uh, this is a six point seven, I believe. I grabbed it because it was the strongest one out of the ones in my fridge. Okay. So um, yeah, man, it, it's pretty good, pretty tasty. I'm, it's a hazy IPA, which is my go-to these days, Mm -hmm. so I'm enjoying it. Um, I had a couple of, I had a couple of different beers over the weekend, and let me tell you, man, if you see a beer that says milkshake IPA, buy it. Yeah. Like, sight unseen, buy it, because every milkshake IPA I've had is fantastic. So I had another one over the weekend, it was some kind of uh, orange milkshake IPA, and that shit was so good. I can't even remember the name. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think, yeah. I believe the thing that, that makes a milkshake IPA what it is, is lactose. It's lactose. Which smooths yep. it out. Right. And and so I... That's the other uh, note there. If you see a beer that says lactose. Yep. Get that. Yep. Get that's, that shit. That's, that's definitely something that I look for. And yeah, it, it's almost like they're not IPAs. You know what I mean? Like they're just... It's just a totally different kind of beer than than what we remember IPAs as, say, three, four years ago, where they were all just bitter kind of punches to the face. And, you know, some people like that, and that's fine. I didn't, but now I like these a lot. They just taste, uh, they used to taste really dirty back in the day to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this tastes like a dirty beer somehow, and yeah. I don't understand why people like this. And then over time, you just kind of get used to it. The same way, I guess, you get used to beer. Yeah. Because beer... When you first drink it, you're like, yeah, this shit isn't delicious. Like, yeah. what is this? Why do people like this? Exactly. And then you get fucked up and you're like, oh, I like being fucked up, though. So I guess I'll get used to this taste. <laughs> and and then it's just the same process over again with IPAs. It's like, oh, this is beer, but way stronger. Well, it tastes pretty gross. And then you get used to it and yeah. then you graduate to all these different types. To your point, I, I view it as more of like a, you know, a total experience, right? Like, like winding down with a beer is very close to to winding up with a coffee. It's it's the experience I enjoy at either the beginning of the day or the end of the day. You know, so so sitting there with my cup of coffee as I wake up in the morning is a great thing and then winding down with a beer when my day is over um or or when, you know, I'm just watching some sports or hanging with the family or watching a movie or whatever, you know, I, I like that experience too. So I totally get down with it. Totally get down with it. So what are you winding down with? Okay. I'm, wi- I'm winding down with a glass of water. Why? What happened? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Remember? Okay. So, so Wisconsin serves a lot of fried foods and fatty foods and I paid the price for that. So, um, my, my digestive system is normalizing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I, to me, this is part of being old and this is probably the, the price I pay for, for my twenties where I ate nothing but God awful food. I mean, food that was delicious, but God awful for me. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know, man. My, I was talking to my mother today and she was saying that like, maybe just traveling in general can wreak havoc on a body, which I find pretty interesting. I, I never heard that theory before, but it sounds, sounds interesting. So anyway, yeah, I, I'll be back on, on beers 
tomorrow night, but tonight I just wanted to to chill and drink a water, and uh, and because I just had Grillamol. Oh, yeah, that was me after after yeah exactly after the Arizona trip. I needed to readjust, uh, reset the computers, you know, do the hard reset there. So I get yeah. it. Uh, exactly. Detoxing is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that that concludes our uh, making beer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right, so so join week. us next week. <laughs> So what'd you do this week, man? What was your week about? Uh, okay, so so uh, this week I had a little break from uh, the the monthly freelance work. Like, and I think I last week too, I, I was on a break. I had knocked out a bunch of stuff, so I'm continuing that. So that's been nice. But I did have that pending um, uh, mermaid commission. Uh, this guy Gordon, he's he's uh, we call him Commissioner Gordon because he always commissions mm. guys to do mermaids, nice. and so yeah. he's he's been a long time client. I've been doing work for him for seven years, actually. So um, ever since I started, oh eight years now, yeah, eight years. Ever since I started doing conventions, I've basically been doing commissions for this guy, usually once a year, twice a year. Uh, and what's kind of been cool with quarantine is since he has my email and that's how we've kept like because he'll commission me at the convention and i'll go look if you want a really detailed thing i can't do it here but i'll take the commission now and um you know i'll email you with all the details i'll send you multiple layouts so you have choices Mm -hmm. and so he likes that and uh so thank goodness during quarantine he just emailed me hey i got some projects here's uh four options for you pick one and um so so this is one of those options i think is this my second one during quarantine i think it might be my second one during quarantine um Mm. so working on that uh we agreed on a layout and i he had some corrections some adjustments i had done all of that stuff sent it back to him and the digital versions are approved so now i gotta print them out and uh, ink traditionally so that's moving mm. along nicely. So that was that was my first thing. Can I? Okay. So I do I get to ask questions at, at each at each thing? Abs- absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And um, so yeah. So that was my first thing. And um, uh, I've just been honestly what I was supposed to do today because it's Caesar Chavez Day as as of us recording this. Um, I was supposed to go print it out today, and I did not do that. Instead, I ate lasagna and took a nap. So go ahead with your questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's one question. It's not even a technical question. Do you believe mermaids exist? You know what? That is not the first time this week I've been asked that. <laughs> Isn't that weird? How random is my, that? Yeah. My goddaughter um, asked me about it. And uh, she's like, do you think they they exist? I was like, no, of course not. And she goes, really? You don't think they exist like deep down in the ocean? I'm like, well, there are parts of the ocean that are undiscovered. They're so far down that we have not been able to... Uh, you know, explore at all. And she goes, so you don't think they live down there? I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I was like, but if they do exist, then they're, then they're down there. They have to be down there, but no. Yeah. yeah. How about you? I, I, I sort of do. I sort of do. Do mermaids exist? That's what I'm asking you. Not, not what your thing is. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so like, I, I sort of do. I, I think I, I always kind of like looking at things as like plausibility, you know? So for example, I, I do believe I, I feel like just sheer randomness and and everything there has to be intelligent life elsewhere in the universe so I definitely believe in extraterrestrial beings just because the universe is fucking infinite and there's billions and billions of stars with planets blah 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 I, I imagine there's plenty of inhabited 
planets of life of some sort out there. So it's kind of like degrees of plausibility, right? And I guess in Mermaids, I suppose you could talk me into it. My my hard answer would be no. But I think that if there was one, I, I, I would be more inclined to believe it. It's It's on the order of like a Mike Mignola style sort of hell mermaid type thing like again the, there was a book that I, I was talking about last week um, Gr- Grim Death and Bill the Electrocuted Criminal spoiler alert um, and and you know maybe I'll put that in the show notes and maybe I won't or I can I can do the cool I could do the cool audio effect there so spoiler alert Brrr. yeah but yeah and 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 it's it's sort of a um it's sort of a mutated mermaid you know what i mean like it's not daryl hannah and splash where you where you put water on it and and its legs turn into like a fin it's it's kind of a mutated thing that's sort of humanoid what the definition of a mermaid is and how human the top half would be kind of determines my answer but i could see something that's like sort of a mermaid really existing i guess have you ever read the wake by sean gordon murphy not only have I read it, I just recommended it to my kid last week. Oh, right on. So the first the first half of it is incredible. There's the I know you've read the whole thing. The Wake is a story told in two yeah. parts. Part one happens what, twenty five years before part two, let's say? I think so. It's it's so long ago. Part one is incredible and part two is like sorta okay. So taken on its own, part one is sick and yes i love their idea there of like the mer creature if you want to call it that and for those listening if you haven't read it awesome and it's uh essentially humanity kind of splits into two uh the ones that kind of take after the apes and stay on land and then the ones that go to the water and then they kind Mm -hmm. of they evolve whereas we evolve from apes over time they evolve from uh, you know, humans to livable human sea creature uh, hybrids. Yes. Yes. Very cool. And yes. uh, and obviously goes without saying the art is badass. Yes. It's awesome. It's awesome. So with that said, what else did you do this week? Well, uh, well, it's your turn. Let's, let's, uh, let's flippity floppity. What'd you do? I'll get into my Ooh, second boy. one later on. I, I, I did. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get to this. So if we're going to do a couple things, the only thing I did, so this was a bit of a not working kind of week for me. Um, and that's because I traveled again with my kid to another out-of-state athletic competition, this one in Wisconsin. So, you know, when you, when you do that, I mean, I flew. Uh, again, I've been fully vaccinated, but, you know, airplanes are crowded again. And uh, and so, you know, I ended up being kind of like center seat buffer against my kid. I'm, I'm flying, you know, a- airplanes, by being virtue of how full they are, I can't really bust open the laptop and write. Um, the only time, the only stuff I could really do was just a little bit, you know, so um, most of the work this week was just in the novel, but I did um, take some time and f- tighten up the Kadoja volume three, number four script. So Will, um, the artist, and Eric, the letterer, um, have agreed to kind of work in tandem to make the timeline work better. So Will is basically going to hand, hand um, Eric pencils. And then they will, he will ink as Eric um, letters the pencils in parallel, and then they can slip the fin. I, you know, they, me, whoever can put the finished inks under it, and then we'll be in great shape. So, uh, as preparation for that, Eric wanted the script, and I'm like, okay, let me just take a quick look at it. So I took a day and just went through it, and you know, it's. I mean, there's always something that can be fixed. Um, so yeah, I found that there were some spots where the dialogue was a little repetitive. 
I think there's also a big difference in, you know, this is something that that maybe you see on on the other side of this. But for me, you know, I write the script on on paper with a vision in my head. And then when you get what I'd like doing is, at least with this process, you get the finished inks back or the pencils back. And then I look at the script again. And then I ask myself, okay, what what doesn't work anymore? What doesn't work because the artist has kind of done things one way or another? And you'd be surprised, you know, anywhere from maybe five to eight percent of the of the stuff all of a sudden just doesn't feel the same once you put the words over the picture. So obviously the the first time you do the script before you send it to the artist, what you want to focus on, at least me from a writer perspective, is I want to focus on the stage direction and the panel direction. Because that's the stuff that's of the utmost importance because that is what the artist is basing the work off of. The second time through, you can, you know, when you get that back, you can now ignore 100% of the stage direction and it's all dialogue. And so now what you do is you get to kind of look at it a different way and ask yourself, how does the dialogue work on its own? How does it flow? You know, and, and by doing that, you definitely find some things that not only you may have missed and were just a mistake you made, or you repeated yourself, which, which happens a lot in writing. You know, you say something and then you say something again a page later and you're like, Christ, I really just said the same thing, you know, a page ago, two pages ago, whatever it is. So, um, and given the fact that we've talked about this, that, that we're, we have full-time jobs, um, the, the timeline for making a comic obviously gets way extended out. So, you know, you can, you can write something a month after you write something else and forget that you made that little sub point already. So anyway, so no, it was, it was good. I tightened up the script. There were some changes that needed to be made and, and I went ahead and sent that off. And now I just wait for the magic to happen and for issue four to come back to me fully completed. Yeah. That, um, you know, being on the other side of that, I will get the script. I'll visualize it as I'm reading it. And I'll read it a couple of times, and what I've been doing a lot lately, lately is screen capping that page, page's worth of direction and dialogue and putting it straight into my file. So as I'm laying the thumbnails out, I'll, I'll read, the, read, the, read what's going on, visualize it, and like take screenshots in my head of what this looks like. I was like, okay, there's, you know, there's the moment in time that I want to capture, and then I'll go through and go, okay... And, you know, and, and it's the same process that you're doing where it's like, okay, what has the artist changed, added, or ignored? Mm-hmm. And then and then exactly like you said, okay, does it feel the same? Does it work the same? Yes, it does. Oh, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, let's adjust this. He captured, he captured like 30 seconds to a minute before I was envisioning. So now it's more of like, this is the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. That was probably my most productive thing comics-wise for the week. Um, what else did you do? Um, so I started on, uh, so since since last week, I had a little lull in time where I could get some interiors done. I completed a page and I've started on uh, another page, or actually two other pages, where I have Kickstarters as background characters. And um, these guys are kind of getting hooked up. They're supposed to just be a background actors, but... They have dialogue. They're in three pages, and uh, you know, I let them know. I was like, "Look, this is what's happening. If you're cool with what's happening in this, these are the characters you can be." And because um, um, I had a friend, a uh, shout out to my buddy Steve, he had saw the guest role that I usually have on my Kickstarter. It's five hundred bucks. You'll be in uh, multiple pages, 
you'll be a character, you'll have dialogue. And he goes, man, that's, it's so cool. Um, I wish I could do it. I just can't justify to my wife spending 500 bucks on this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, totally, I get it. And then right after we were having that conversation, someone backed that tier and it was gone. Mm. Like, and, and it was just, and like, but I, and I, and it's something I never adjust. I never go, look, you're a buddy. I'll give it to you at this rate. I'm like, there's been too many people that have actually paid that for me to go. This is okay. And yeah, I hear you. Like if, if I want to boost someone from the hundred dollar to have like a role or at least be in two panels, then it's, you know, but I, but I also stipulate that in the Kickstarter, it's like, you'll be in one panel at least. Mm -hmm. You might be in two or three, depending on the scene. So, but these two guys, they got hooked up. They got the, the, you know, um, a cameo appearance or whatever, but uh, yeah, they're getting hooked up and they were cool with what the roles were. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, one of the guys he got, he bought the $500 role. It was for his daughter. I was like, okay, she's not going to work in this episode issue. You definitely can't be the person in this scene. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, uh, so she'll be in the next issue. But uh, yeah, so I started working on those, working on likenesses and stuff. And, and I mentioned this on social media. When you're doing likenesses and books, so for you creators out there, if you're ever drawing someone, make sure you're drawing them in the style that you're drawing the rest of your book. Don't, don't try to do it so photorealistic unless that is your style all the time because it's jarring. You know, if you have more of a sleek style, you got to draw those people, hit their, um, you know, it's almost like caricatures. Mm -hmm. Just hit their main targets or if you can simplify their face and you think it looks like them, then, you know, good job. But, you know, one thing is for me, making sure they're not standing out too much as being like, hey, I think this is supposed to be someone because that, mm -hmm. that really takes the reader out of the story and... You know, as much as it's good for those people who are guest starring, because they feel more prominent in mm -hmm. that way, um, it takes the rest of the readers out of the story, and you definitely don't want that. That's interesting. In in the absence of other stuff, I'll talk a little bit about my travels, and um, I'm just going to focus on the comic-specific stuff. We had a little bit of free time the one day, so we drove up to Milwaukee and hit up a bunch of places. We hit a record shop, a book shop, a cheese shop, a beer distributor. Oh. Yeah, there's hey, great parenting taking your 15-year-old to a beer distributor. Yeah. Did did they have a beer cheese there? Um I don't know if they did or not. Cuz I just yeah. cuz I just heard of this. This is completely new to me. One of my friends mentioned it. She goes, "Oh yeah, I love this place. It's over in wherever." And she goes, "Yeah, they got they have great beer cheese." And I'm like, "What's beer cheese?" And she's like, you're a foodie and a beer guy. How do you not know what beer cheese is? And I was just, I've just never heard of that. So apparently they make cheese out of beer. Oh, you know what? I did see some. There was a, something called the Wisconsin Cheese Mart. And, and I did notice that they had a stout cheese and they had another type of cheese. Um, unfortunately, two things. One, we're flying home. And, and not only that, but we were checking out of our, on the day we left, we had like a 9 p.m. flight and had to check out of the hotel at, at 9 in the morning. So that ain't going to work for bringing cheese on home to the fam. And um, then the other problem is that we were heading directly to a restaurant after that and we were going to eat some cheese curds. So so the, I, I just couldn't see any more dairy in my life there. You know, but um, but I did see it now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, so we, we did all kinds of stuff. And one of the places we stopped was a comic shop. And it was pretty cool because this was the place that my kids seemed most interested in going. So we go in and uh, and I'm like, OK, you good. Just hanging out. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm just going to look for something to read. 
you know, she she found a book. So after, you know, I hunted for a little bit. I my Batman Legends of the Dark Knight collection continues to build, which is nice. And that's a that's a great book that you can just find everywhere. You know, that's also what's pretty cool about it. It's very available. And I also I mean, I, I immediately knocked out my Neil Gaiman Death High Cost of Living. That was pretty available. So I was able to get that. But uh, then I go back to my kid and, and I'm like, hey, did you find anything? And she she took a, a shine to the Miles Morales book. So I, I got her that. You know, one of my big things is I'm never going to deprive my kids reading. So uh, then then to, to make a uh, to narrow, you know, to, to abbreviate the story a little bit, she ended up um, going for let me think she well, the next thing she said was this is like unprompted, unprompted. She's staring at the shelves and I'm like, hey, what are, what are you looking for? What else? What else do you think you want? And she's like, I don't know. Like, I want something indie. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> OK. So uh, so what unfortunately what I proceeded to do, she then expressed interest in a whole lot of books. And it's like, oh, I have that at home. Oh, I have that at home. So um, I'll have to remind myself which ones. Oh, Devil's Red Bride was one of them where she was like, well, Devil's Red Bride looks pretty cool. I'm like, I got one through five at home. So don't worry about that, you know, but um, it ended up being like a little recommendation of things she can read when we get home. But she also took a shot on and I, I pointed yeah. it out to her. Actually, it was Valkyries, which uh, looked pretty interesting. And uh, and in the end game, she ended up uh, liking Valkyries and not liking um, the, the Spider-Man book a whole lot. And I think it's because she said it was a little too rich in the whole check last issue, check three issues before, check this story arc. It was a little too referential to the past instead of standing on its own. And then we we sort of repeated the next day because we had extra time before the airport and stopped in a comic shop not too far from the O'Hare airport and did it all over again. She found some more stuff. She found a Vision in the Scarlet Witch uh, reprint thing and some other things as well. So uh, so yeah, it was it was really exciting to kind of get some books for her. You know, she she read My Little Pony religiously when she was much younger, but and and then she stopped being interested in My Little Pony. And also stop being interested in comics. So I think now she's ready to kind of get back into it with an open mind to, to titles that she might like. And, and, you know, clearly there's a bit of a favor there to things that have been media properties, but I, I don't care. You know, whatever works for you yeah. works. And uh, and any reading yeah, whatever, is good reading. Whatever gets you in the comic store reading. Exactly, exactly. But uh, but I did I did have a thought that I shared with her in the car and I wanted to bring up here I, I think I need to amend my my idea on comic shops. You know, I believe I believe I didn't cut this that we had that conversation a few episodes ago where I was talking about how every record store is different because used records are the are the bread and butter of record stores where comic shops tend to feel the same because most of their business is new comics and you never want to quote cheat on your your main shop. Right. But what I'm finding out now as as I'm actually committing to the bit here and as I travel around, I'm not looking for record stores anymore because I've gone to all the record stores I want to go to. I've already kind of lapped the country once over the last 30 years to go to all the record stores I wanted to go to. And so now I'm just doing it all over again with comic shops and bookshops. And uh, and it's great because it's very refreshing and it's just a brand new way of looking at some cities that I've been to before in some cases. But I think I sold comic shops short when I gave that example before. Because the interesting thing about, here, here's what comic shops have that record stores don't. Record stores have the used records, which is, which is great. But I find it hard to believe, like if, if I go to a record store right now, like just say Rhino Records, the one that's like 20 minutes from me in Claremont, California. 
if I look through all those records, you know, there's only so many used records. You pick your favorite genre as you go from there. Musical tastes tend to be pretty firm, you know? So like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to look for metal. I'm going to look for funk. I'm going to look for jazz. I'm going to look for soul. I'm going to look for soundtracks. And I'm going to call it a day. That's pretty much it. The next time I go to that record store, I'm going to do the same thing. What's interesting about comic shops is that you can actually go to the same comic shop a week apart and have an entirely different experience because different things have influenced your brain. You know, I've gone to SoCal Comics twice and had a wildly, in, in, within four weeks of each other, and had a wildly different experience each time because I was looking for different books each time. And the next time I go, some different books will be in my brain. It won't be Batman Legends of the Dark Knight and Neil Gaiman books anymore. It'll be whatever the next thing is. So I think that's what's interesting about comic shops is that, yes, the back issues aren't what kind of butters their bread, but the interesting thing is that you cut a different swath there every single time because you've read different books and you're in a different place. You wouldn't go back to the same comic shop to get more Batman because you already looked for Batman. So I, I just find that really interesting that comic shops manage to stay fresher on repeat visits than record stores do. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think you had a percentage or something like that uh, when we talked about this. You were like... This percentage of comic shops, they sell this shit. But then this percent is the one that's kind of unique. It's it's a little different. So I think mm -hmm. that was more specifically what you were talking about. And I yeah. I and I found that to be true um, going through Arizona. So, but yeah, you're right. Every time you go there, it will be different. But if you do have that large percentage of comic shops that um, specialize in only the new books and the toys and whatever, you're going to have that same experience at those shops. But for sure, I 100% exactly. agree with stores like SoCal Comics, who uh, it's like, hey, we got everything. You know what I mean? So it's just like like you said, yep. this time I'm looking for shit from my youth, but then this time Scott rec recommended a Redneck, and I need to look for that. Yeah. That's, that exactly. brings that back up. Did you actually look for Redneck the last time No, you I forgot. The, 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 or you, you know, forgot. Fuck, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. But like going into that, this would be the episode we recorded in the field the second time. That that time was the time that I was supposed to look for Redneck, and I haven't. So the next time I go to SoCal Comics, I'm going to have to look for Redneck again. So yeah, it's, and, and to oh. your point, yes, it's more about that. When I talk about comic shops, I really really mean that subset of comic shops where when you look on Yelp and you look at the store photos, lots of long boxes. If you see lots of long boxes, that is the kind of comic shop I am referring to. Yeah, books, places yeah. where they're just going to sell Funko Pops and new books. There's no reason to go there a second time. Yeah, you know, you posted a photo of that, of long boxes and your uh, Instagram stories. And yeah. I was just like, ooh, yeah. eye emojis. Like, what yes. do you got going on there? Is there yeah. some Savage Dragons up in there? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's definitely fun. Uh, going, back, going back to your kid, did she... I heard My Little Pony Now is actually pretty good. And there's like bronies out there, just grown men that love My Little Pony. It's been a couple of years since I've heard that. But I heard that series was good again. I believe it's IDW that does uh, My Little Pony. So she, she was actually mm -hmm. interested in checking out what's going on there. I heard they're not bad. I heard they're, they're pretty decent. That's, that's an interesting thought. And I think we, get ready to drink, ladies and gentlemen. Because I think what my kid is going through with My Little Pony is the kind of stuff that I went through with Star Wars. Re Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. I was, I was 12. I lost interest because I hit puberty. And 
and girls became interesting and things became interesting. And then, you know, if you if you tried to ask 16 year old me, a person only a few years removed from being super stoked for Return of the Jedi to do anything Star Wars, I'd have been like, no, you know, I'm 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 better than that. I'm more grown up than that. You know, like I'm, I'm ready to move yep. on to other things. And I sort of think that while um, my kid would never be that. <laughs> that's stupid about it like I was I think it's also like you know being at the phase in your evolution where you feel like you almost don't want to, you're not ready to tread that ground yet because it's quote yeah. kid stuff right you're not you're not ready to jump back into the nostalgia like we are as grown men we're like hey enough time has been removed where I can like TMNT again totally and, and you know not feel like you're digressing and back to a, a childhood you know? exactly no it's I mean like the, it's, it's the right the it's right fun. amount of time. And, and another another tangent here is that um, I was I was texting back and forth with Ed. Ed. Ed is serving as kind of like our stat boy here, right? Because it's almost like sometimes I can tell when Ed's listening to the episode because I'll get some texts. So Ed was just, te- he texted me about something about Iron Fist. This was the Iron Fist book you were talking about. This is the Luke Cage book you're talking about. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and he started, and then we were yep. both sharing how much we love the street level superheroes. And he mentioned, he reminded me of one of my favorite books growing up which was vigilante by marv wolfman the dc um the dc property oh he loves that book yeah yeah and i loved Mm -hmm. that book and so immediately i was looking for vigilante and stuff like that and to your point it's it's i know that i'm seeking this nostalgia but i am fascinated with the nostalgia you know and uh because in a weird way something i find particularly fascinating about the nostalgia now is revisiting it to see what about it influenced me you know um to 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 do a quick corollary to our influences you know when i was talking about batman legends of the dark knight as an influence it is an influence and, and was what i left out and kicking around in the back of my brain was this batman arc that i couldn't quite put my finger on and i did it was batman issues 452 through 454 it's a three issue arc called dark knight dark city and you can make the argument that that influenced me as much as anything else because it is a particularly dark arc, like Satan invoking and stuff like that. And the Riddler just gets really, really dark and wonky. And um, it was just such a huge influence. It was fun to read that again because I'm just like, yeah, this is this really kind of, you know, hit, hit me in all the right places as a kid. And I can totally see how my love of you know, horror, the occult, all that type of stuff um, may not trace back to it, but definitely aligns with it quite well. And you're basically like the weekend at the Super Bowl right now, right? I've just been watching you kind of handheld video camera yourself around. I think I'm slightly <laughs> nauseous, much like I was during the Super Bowl during that halftime performance. Yeah, I was trying to make it. I was like, OK, cool. He's on a roll. I think he's going to go for a while. I get to still listen. I don't have to chime in. I'm going to run downstairs and grab a beer. Yeah, you got good cardio in. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Also, the thing with the nostalgia in this particular instance, it's in our field. You know what I mean? So it's just like, what's the stuff that influenced us to do what we're doing? It's one of those things where... And and trust me, it's it's not a thing where I think this, but there's some people that think like, nostalgia is kind of bad, kind of holds you in the past or whatever, but... For our field, it's it's the creative field. We need to see what influenced us and wanted, made us want to do what we're doing now. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think it's perfectly good. Did you ever read Grin- Grendel? 
Uh, Ed was huge on Grendel. The as Matt well. Wagner book. Yes, I did. I was I was a fan of Matt Wagner uh, Grendel as well. And and yeah, huge <laughs> fan of that. Comic shops of Southern California. Get ready for Keith to start buying Grendel again, because that's going to be the germ of an idea that's going to lead toward me collecting Grendel again, clearly. Right. That that seems to be the way that this that this uh, train is going. So, no, man, it's it's it is. It's really interesting. And and but to your point about nostalgia, I'm all for nostalgia being. So I'm kind of like hardline in two different directions. I know that's weird to say, but like I'm a big supporter of examining your own love for nostalgia. But I'm also a big proponent of not feeding the nostalgia machine with with more nostalgia. You know what I mean? And um, and that's why, you know, I'm I'm not even going to bring up the director because I, I think I think I've decided that we are going to have a moratorium on certain pop culture subjects forever. <laughs> and uh, but but for me, one of the things that that definitely gets an artist into my bad column is the love for recycling nostalgia. Because I feel like you have a platform to make something new. Just make something new. Take that nostalgia and put it in the grinder and compost it. You know, again, I really love that term. And and then have it spit something out as opposed to just running a lap around the same track or running the lap a different direction around the same track or making a slight divergence of something that's happened before. You know, really use that platform to make something new instead of just recycling the same old idea. So you, you're pretty much done on uh, your uh, productivity for the week, Yes, right? I am. Okay, I got I got two things and then we'll hop into the, the, the question you proposed to me in the middle of the week. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll tackle after this. Um, okay. So the uh, two other things. So I was, I already touched base on it, uh, putting my Kickstarter backers into the current issue of the second shift, second shift number 10. Um, I had laid everything out and it was 19 pages and I had this two part or two page story. Uh, so one thing that I like to do with my books, I don't, I don't know how, how you do it, but I always like to have some kind of cliffhanger on the last page. So whether it be leading into the same story, uh, you know, moving to the next part and concluding, um, even when a story concludes, I like to have a cliffhanger that leads into the next issue. I never want a reader to feel like, hey, I finished the story. I guess I don't need to continue. Mm -hmm. And that's something that happened actually in the end of the first story arc, the first five issues of the second shift. You can read the first story arc and it just ends. Mm. So you could be like, that was cool. And like, hey, the next issue's out. Eh. Because mentally, the story's complete to you. Yeah. You don't need to continue. There's nothing in your mind. It's like, hey, what happened to that? Yeah. There, so, so that's something I've corrected as I've moved forward. Um, and, and it's something that Ed is really great uh, about doing is, is creating these cliffhangers. So I had laid it out a while back and I, it was a two page uh, uh, story essentially. And um, it was too much. I had too much crammed into such a little space. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to let these panels breathe a little bit and the story will be better for it. Plus people will feel like they're getting a little more bang for their buck, you know, as opposed to, 19 pages that they're going to have 20 pages and not only that my kickstarter backers they're going to be rewarded because hey i backed this this tier and he hooked me up i got instead of one pound i got three pages you know i'm a i'm a star in this book so 
um, I, that was something I corrected um, and I adjusted, I should say. And honestly, all it was was moving a couple of panels to the next page, moving the next page panels to the next page and adding, I think I literally added two panels to that whole situation to create a third page. There was just so much crammed into those two pages. So uh, for you creators out there, don't feel like you need to fit something, like unless you're working for a corporation. If you're doing freelance, if you're doing indie work, um, uh, you know, obviously if you're the creator, more, more specifically, you, if, if you've got, if you're doing a work for hire, you obviously want to talk to the creator of that book to see if it's cool. But if you're creating your own book, you can do that. You don't, don't feel like you need to smother your layouts just to fit stories in under a certain page count. And I didn't have a hard and fast rule for 19 pages. It just so happened when I initially laid it out, I thought it was a good pace. And actually the panel layout, I think that's why because I had more of a traditional, um, on those particular pages, it was like a Kirby eight panel grid that I mm. was doing on those two pages for whatever reason. And that's not my style. But when I yeah. laid those pages out, I thought the pacing of it worked really well. Um, since I've changed my panel layout composition, it's, it d didn't work anymore. I'm like, there's too much going on now. Um, you're not getting enough moments with these characters. Nothing has room to breathe. So I, I redid that. It works way better, um, and honestly, I'm I'm knocking those pages out just as fast as I would have if they were just two pages. So another issue mm. for me is time management, and and that was also a part of the thought was like, I think I laid it out this way because I I was thinking of time management. If I just put this much in these two pages, then I'll bang them out, and it'll cut down on time. Mm -hmm. But I'm drawing the same amount of shit. Really, I'm adding two panels, and they're like talking head panels so it's not even a big deal yeah. um so I, I i've banged since i redesigned those i already banged out a page and a half of those so so it's it's moving along steadily nice nice yeah i mean that's that hey man that's that's all uh, interesting artistic stuff that i don't have much of a comment on other to listen so that's really cool um was that the last thing you No. Did? um did your has your artists come back with that like hey can i make this two pages can i make this one page not really, not really, not really. I mean, you know, Rory, uh, when, when, when Rory and I were working together, he had a lot of free reign. So he might, he, you know, he might've said like, you gave me six pages for this fight. I took eight, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think you can see that, you know, if, if you were going to look through the second Kadoja arc Valley of the giants, I mean, I was going back through some of those issues. It's, it's a 32 page issue. There's a 28 page issue, you know, we, whatever, <laughs> whatever works, man, you know, to your point, that's, that's the strength of doing kind of indie books and, you know, fun fact too, getting a few extra pages printed is not going to break the bank, you know, like it's, it's a few cents extra per no. copy to get those four extra pages. So if, if that's what you want, then go for it. it it's your story. You know, maybe, I mean, you know, yes, it might be a little wonky if issue one is, is, is 22 pages, issue two is 68 and issue three is back to 24. You know, maybe you consider your own pacing a little bit there, but you know, you can do what you want. I actually asked Jim Lee that at, um, there's a San Diego comic con museum mm -hmm. in San Diego, obviously it's in a, off of Balboa. And so Jim came in. And he did, and, I, and I've talked about this on a previous episode. So Jim came in and he drew, 
and while he was drawing you couldn't ask him questions mm -hmm. so one of my questions was was actually that like have you ever gotten a script from a writer and wanted to do it in a couple of more pages and so his answer for a, a corporate comics it was no if you got that many pages that's your that's your page count you can't really go over it mm -hmm. so um yeah so not great advice on my end uh, just doing as many pages as you want if you're working for corporate comics but yeah. hey indies fuck it let it fucking fly man yeah exactly um and the, and the last thing i wanted to talk about um in preparation so this is just more in preparation for the future uh nothing i've done already but I, I i do have a couple of friends that are graphic designers but i, I want to hire a graphic designer to help me with uh the second shift hardcover i want i want it to be professional i want to have a different set of eyes just just to see what other people think i want to kind of throw my ideas at them and see what they think and uh, uh move forward with that just just to have a different look um and, and I pretty much, I, I roughly know what I want. So even if they're throwing ideas at me, I know what to, to kind of shoot down. But also I'm very open to what they're seeing as well. So that, that's kind of my last thing is nice. thinking of the future uh, and, and what to do after issue 10 is finished. Sure, sure. I hear you, man. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear about it as it happens. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah you, absolutely. You, you know, for me, that's, that's a long ways away because, you know, I, I do, we do trades for every volume at Kadoja. After this, it's going to be all eyes on volume four. And then after that, the volume four trade. And then after that, the mighty, mighty omnibus comes, right? Which again, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably most excited for that, but you know, I need a quarter of the story to get done still. So I can't get, can't get ahead of myself. Well, well, you're, you're already ahead of the game, man. Like this is my, this would be equivalent to my second trade. You're on trade four. Yeah. yeah. So um, and I just love the, um, and you know, it's a hit TV show in my mind, at least I, everyone I've talked to loves it. Invincible is out. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. And I love their hardcovers. They're called ultimate editions. Mm -hmm. If you're out there, if you've never read Invincible, go on Amazon or eBay, look for Invincible ultimate editions. They're fucking beautiful. They're 12 issues with a shitload of back matter. And they're the perfect size, perfect format. And it's a chef's kiss. I want my my volume to be the exact same size because I want to put it right on the shelf next to those bad boys. And uh, so for me, it's a huge, it's like a milestone in my life as a, as an artist to go look. I've I've finished. It's going to be eleven issues because, um, uh, like you said, a few uh, extra pages. It doesn't cost that that much. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge difference. So as opposed to me doing. 10 issues and a bunch of stuff back matter i'm going to do the um the issue 11 the drawtober edition because i feel like it's a nice bookend because the story starts with lagrange the villain in the first four, five issues mm -hmm. and then it'll end with him in in issue 11 and then so it'll be roughly the same size as those invincible hardcovers uh in thickness as well so um yeah man that's so that's like my milestone is getting to this and uh, uh getting that out there Excellent, man. So, uh, so why don't we launch right into the the second part that I wanted to talk about a little bit. And so, just so you know, I wrote down four things. So it's not that many. And so what I tech what I was thinking about during the week is we've we've floated around this before, but it would be neat to have it in one place. And and it was the question: What advice would you give the you ten years ago that was starting out? 
you know, um, by by my count, Kadoja was roughly being formulated about 10 years ago. And I think for you, Second Shift was also kind of in a thought process stage, you know, because, I mean, we both met at, at, at around the same point in our books. So um, so what I wanted to do was we'll just go back and forth here. And what I've done, Scott, is I've kind of gone from process to to execution. Again, this this isn't a particularly great list, but I think it's a it's an interesting list to talk about. And we'll see where we um where we meet and and where we go from there. So, you know, again, what advice would you give to yourself 10 from 10 years ago? And not a lot of these are and, this isn't meant to be revolutionary. You know what I mean? And I um I only have 3. So you should definitely start first so you hit your first one um and, and then I'll go after you. So thing number 1 for me and this is in the creative phase, seek out objective opinions. You want to bust out of that friend circle. You know, um, and and this is this is a very making making comics, releasing independent comics. It's all very subjective, you know. Um, and the cool thing about comic books, I think, is that there's so many ways it can work. You know, I've read books that had by most by Marvel standards crappy art, and I thought were fantastic. I've read books that are fantastic for the style of art it uses. I've read, you know, like ugly books, pretty books, glitzy books, ritzy books, funky and ugly books. They can all work if you just commit to what you're doing. So that said, you still want to reach out. You know, there's there's free critiques at conventions in a lot of cases that professionals will do. A lot of people are willing to put eyes on your work seek out those opinions and and because staying inside your friend's circle is going to get your friends to buy your books and maybe your family. Um, but maybe they're not telling you stuff that you need to hear. Yeah. And, and going to the art part, this is this uh, friend of the show, Gary Hodges. We were just talking about that in a group chat. I sent over an image. Uh, it was a, a, a collaged image of Godzilla and Kong and you both didn't like it. And I was like, Hey, art subjective. I think this is badass. Mm-hmm. So, um, just on that art front, where you, like you said, you've seen art where you thought it was awesome, and widely everyone's like, "No, that sucks." If you like it, there's going to be people out there who also like it. Yep. So um, you can't just base it off of one group of people. Um, um, art subjective in that way. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So that was my first one. What's your first one? Uh, my first one is don't start with a five part story arc. <laughs> that's a huge thing um and, and it's something i had to learn firsthand and i heard that bit of advice after i had already started the first story arc i think i was on issue three or four and i knew it to be true because by issue three and four i was like i'm so over this i'm so over the storyline i want the storyline to be done i want to work on all of these other characters that i've created mm-hmm. but i've committed to five issues of this one storyline so as a brand new artist, this goes for me, Scott, 10 years ago, and any anyone else listening right now, when you're starting your first book, do it a one-shot. Do do even a short story. Do an eight-page story, a six-page story, a four-page story. Get these ideas going, you know? Uh, accumulate as many stories as you can in a short period of time because you're going to find that your style and your idea of how to make comics will change in that short period of time. Like when I first started my story arc, it was like 
I had just, I've been wrestling for 10 years. I was on the tail end of my wrestling career. I hadn't drawn in essentially 10 years because my brain's so stupid. I can't multitask. So I hadn't, basically hadn't drawn in about 10 years. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, definitely start with one, one shot. If, if you can eight page story, short story, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's number one. That's cool. That's cool. And so, so my second one is, Again, more on the process side, more on the absorption side. It's read with a critical eye. And and I'm not really thinking about your stuff. I'm thinking about other stuff. And again, this is a pretty basic thing, but that doesn't make it unimportant. It's important. And so when I say read with a critical eye, I do not mean try to read things and point out their flaws or anything like that, right? Like not the critic. You know, read stuff. Take your favorite shit. And, and dissect it and try to figure out why it is what it is. You know, break it down however it works for you into ways to break it down. You know, if, if, there's a, if there's a comic you love the art in and you're an artist, what about that art do you like? You know, really, really bring it in, right? Do you, do you like Jack Kirby's art because he kind of has, has these meaty, because everybody is a meaty, brawny figure? You know, do you like the crackle? There's a million reasons to like artists. And, and more to that point, it's far more interesting to dissect stuff you love than it is to dissect stuff you dislike because you're going to get bored and it's going to become snarky and you don't want that. What you want is pick apart the stuff you love and try to see if there try to try to see what the recipe is because there's always a recipe. When you first get into this kind of stuff, it seems like magic, but it's not. It's craft. And as you really unpack those aspects of the craft and research as you go, you know, that you're not going to know all the answers. When you start out, you won't know any. But you're going to look at something, and then if you just ask, why is this effective? Why do I like it? Break it down, research those things, and then sooner or later, you're going to find the things that really resonate with you that you can carry into your own stuff. And we all know that's how it starts. It always starts with emulating the stuff you love, and then you go from there and build and build and build, and before you know it, you have your own individual unique style. And and I do that with art. Um, all the time. Uh, it's, it's a thing. And I did it with wrestling when I was wrestling. Um, there becomes a point and, and I'm not there yet with comics where you can just sit back and enjoy something. Um, I can't, I can right now. Uh, when I was at the end of my wrestling career, at least halfway through every match I watched, I was breaking it down as it was happening. I was watching it as a whole, but I was also breaking it down. And like, I don't know how many other artists do this. I do this with people too. I break down people's faces um, as I'm talking to them. And I try not to do it, mm. <laughs> but um, I find that I do do it. And with comics, it, it's half there. Like, like a lot of the times I'm checking out the art and the composition, but a lot of times I'm just sucked into the story. Mm-hmm. So, so, for, so in a way, it's good. It's like, okay, cool. As of right now, I'm at kind of the sweet spot where I'm still enjoying comics as an art form. And, uh, but there will become a point in your comics creating career where you're just breaking everything down. And then if you can get to where you're already at that point, you can get to a point where you're just enjoying a comic. Oh man, that's gotta be one of the best comics ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So my, my number two is don't print 500 copies of issues two through five. Don't do it, Scott. Don't do it. 500 copies for all you creators out there. Great print run. 
for an indie book. 500 solid. If you can, do a thousand. If you really believe in what you're doing, a thousand is cool because issue one will always be issue one. People like to try stuff out. So, uh, issue one sold out within within a couple of years of me doing conventions. Um, by the time, well, by the time by the time I had the trade out, I had sold out of issue one, and it, and it worked out perfectly because then I could just refer people to the trade. They were spending more, um, and uh, unfortunately, it made it harder to sell issues two through five mm -hmm. because number one was gone. So, if you guys are out there. Try to do as minimal of a print run of uh, the, you know, issues two through whatever. You're mm -hmm. not going to need 500 copies if you're a small-time indie person. And I'm on, I think I have 200 copies of issue two. I actually recently cataloged all of this to see how much I had of what. And man, it's a lot. Um, I got a thousand copies. I got a thousand copies of the trade paperback. And I've sold um, 350 of them. Mm -hmm. which is great and and at this point in time the difference that you get in uh price point per unit at a thousand copies is so much better than what you would get at 500 mm -hmm. so it's actually beneficial for you to print a larger amount of your first trade because again it's issues one through five or mm -hmm. one through whatever as opposed to the second trade so i know when i do the second trade paperback it's going to be so much less than the first one um but at a thousand a thousand uh, copies i've already made all of my money back for all those trades so anything else mm -hmm. that i sell is it's all profit even though it, it's yeah. all profit because they were kickstarted so it literally there's not one dollar of my money so yeah and and to that point yeah it's funny you say that because i am in the process i mean i'm about to solicit kadoja volume three through diamond because it'll go up in june and then at the end of June, I'll know how many copies get ordered through Diamond. And I obviously know how many copies are getting ordered through the Kickstarter. So then the question becomes, how many copies do I want to sell at shows? And as much as I love Volume 3, it really does have to be my lowest amount. And and it's really all about your tolerance for, for storage. You know, like, if you have a house that you're in, like, I'm definitely going to move one more time in my life because, you know, I'm, I'm leasing the house I'm in. The good news is it just got extended for two years. So I'm staying here for two more years at least. But uh, but, you know, whenever that move is just lurking in your distant future, it, it makes me not want to buy as many books. <laughs> so um, and, and for me, there's a certain price point where I'd rather just order some sell out and then just run another order again. That's actually how I did with Kadoja Volume 1. And, and that was actually a bigger print run because it was buoyed by diamond numbers and, and direct shop orders and things like that. But yeah, so anyway, I can I can totally relate. I'm playing that exact bit of a calculus right now, thinking about how many copies I want for myself of Volume 3 to sell at shows once once the Kickstarter and Diamond's orders are, are behind me. So now we get into the, you know, I think some people could argue that the first two I've said, they're things I've said before, they're more conventional. Um, these next two maybe a little bit more me. And so for me, number three is avoid long layoffs in the creation process. When Kadoja volume one, number one came out. In fact, back when I just thought it was a Kadoja number one, right? We, I wasn't getting too much into the volume thing. Um, I printed a ton of copies. Um, I mean, 2000 and it, it sold out 
you know, uh, eventually, because we had some big shop orders. Oh, shit. Yeah, right yeah. We had some big shop orders and things like that. And, and I just hustled at conventions and, and sold it. And, you know, people were willing to try something new. So I was really, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. One of the reasons I may have sold a few more copies than I probably should have before I moved on is because I spent somewhere around eight to nine months just talking about Kadoja One, Kadoja One, Kadoja One. And in the meantime, the creative process, you know, was was being withheld and it took some time to get that momentum again. So, you know, the thing I would tell myself from 10 years ago is just keep making books, you know, like like don't let your layoffs be too long. Um, and, and if I could do it all over again, I would definitely go back and close that nearly one year gap between Kadoja number one and Kadoja number two, because what I what I was doing, what I thought I was doing is getting as many people as possible interested in Kadoja number one. And, and that worked. I sold a lot of copies, but it may have come with the downside of they forgot about it because there's never a number two out there. And, and at some point, no matter how much people like a book, if there's no number two, you're just going to forget about it. And so, but if the book keeps going, then it's going to be fresher in people's minds than just this issue one that sat on the vine for 10 months, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I did have a uh, decent size gap in between one and two, I want to say. One took a while because like I said, I was getting off of the indie circuit for wrestling. And so I think I started in... 2010 like you said um you were correct on that assumption on time frame me and ed were talking about stuff what we were going to do and issue one got released in 2013 and i think issue two came out maybe 2014 i have this logged somewhere i have it in an excel spreadsheet uh you and i are both excel spreadsheet nerds so um yeah, so I got that logged somewhere, um, and the my longest layoff, in, once I got rolling, I think issues three and four, I think there was a four or five month time period in between, which was pretty fast uh, for me uh, back then, and uh, it's still pretty, pretty impressive to me, to be honest with you, but the longest gap I had was between issue five and six, mm. and that's the year. I discovered Pokemon Go. So I have, we've, we've talked about, I, I I don't know, maybe we haven't talked about, we've maybe talked about this in person, but I don't have like an addiction to alcohol or anything like that. I have addiction to collecting mm-hmm. things and I have addiction to yeah. video games. And so Pokemon Go is collecting things on a video game. So it's like yes. two vices. Yeah. So I lost essentially a year of my life. Uh, issue six of the second shift is a holiday special. And it's, I think it's I think it's 15 pages or 8 pages or something like that and half the pages were already drawn because mm. I had wanted them for my website so I had banged out some holiday specials for the websites like exclusively and I was like hey I already have uh this many pages done why don't I just draw five more pages and I'll have a you know that connects all the stories and I got a, a holiday special why not mm-hmm. it took me a year to do those five pages and it's insane Crazy. and so yeah that's and that's when I deleted Pokemon Go. I was like, "You're ruining my life." Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. So it's not cool. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what was your uh, what was your third thing? Uh, my third and my last, and then I'll turn it over to you to your fourth. Um, letter properly. I need to teach you how to letter properly, and that was my thing to myself because I'm looking through the trade paperback, um, and I oh shoot, I'm looking through the trade paperback uh, the other week, 
and I just see all of this stuff that needs to be fixed. It's like, oh, you didn't understand how lettering worked. And I've heard people on podcasts talk about comic book lettering and how that's one of the things that stand out the most when they're looking at indie books is the lettering, how bad the lettering is. It uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. So um, I'm looking mm-hmm. through the previous issues and I'm seeing it. I'm like, ugh, you know, like what made me think that I just knew how to do this? And, uh, but now I do, you know, after, after 10, 11 issues, I've I got it down. Well, even more so because I've been doing other titles. So, you know, after like 13, 14 issues, I, I've got it down. I figured it out. So um, mm-hmm. that would be kind of my last thing I would say. I have one that's kind of uh, related, I guess. It's uh, those sweet establishing shots of characters. Make sure you're hitting those as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's kind of, that's an art thing. And I think that's just something you learn as you go. Like I'm still learning to this day on uh page direction layout composition stuff and it, it's just a constant uh learning that artists do over their life yeah so so that one's kind of it wasn't exactly in there because it's something that i i need to work on in my comics life forever so yeah yeah no that makes sense and which brings us to the the my final one and in a weird way this is almost more of a, a telling my telling my past self that the decision is correct and, and it's more that I want to share this with people out there who are serious about making a comic and getting it out there. And that is buy artist alley tables. You know, like in my case, it's more of Keith, you, you did a good job sticking to the artist alley tables. AA tables are, are responsible for, I believe, every single good thing that has happened to me in comics. Being an artist alley, simply having a table there, I mean, that's why the other things are like, make sure the work is good. Make sure that you're giving it to the right people to get the right level of feedback. All those things, right? Work on your craft. You know, all all the things that I don't even need to say. When you buy an AA table, what you are telling people is that you are serious and you are committed and you are willing to back your project with your own dollars because that's how much you believe in yourself. There are people, and, and I'm, not, I'm not here to fault people that go to a comic convention so they can then go from table to table and try to get work or, you know, try to show people their art or things like that. And I, and I think where you are in that process, to me, s- determines what you should do. You know what I mean? So, like, if, if, you're, if you're really eagerly seeking feedback on your work and you're just not sure where you stand, by all means, just buy a ticket to a show. Find people that can critique your work. Take those critiques, roll with them, turn that into your product, right? I'm more talking about the kind of people that seem like they they kind of come up to your table like they're selling you stuff almost, or they're trying to pitch an idea, or they're trying to talk about a thing they do. And it's kind of like, I, I, I will listen at my convenience, but I'm also, you know, I'm also here to sell my comic and talk about my comic too, and so the best way to, for people to get out there and do that, of course, is to, is to get themselves a table. And so you get yourself a table. It shows you're serious. You get to put your stuff out there. You get to get the best kind of feedback there is, which is, you know, strangers and sales and, and people just coming up to your table and deciding whether or not to, to buy your stuff. But more importantly you make great connections and and you're going to make natural connections. You know, a, a quick laundry list of things that have happened to Kadoja as a result of us having tables. One, this podcast 
if I don't do tables, I'm not tabling next to Scott someday at Long Beach in 2012. Um, I've also met a ton of artistic contacts through um, Artist Alley tables. I've made a ton of friends by uh, other creators through these tables. Kadoja got on 215 because of these tables and and everything that's happened since then that's that's fo- uh, followed from then you know not just Kadoja going to 215 but me being part of 215 me also having you know will as someone who's doing the artist on Kadoja right now all these things tie back to just that simple belief and and it's it's a good chunk of money but if your stuff is good, what you're going to find is at, at worst, it's a break even proposition as long as you're being smart about it. So again, that's not necessarily a lesson learned as much as it is something that I would impart to people that like having your own table really says a lot about you. It says a thousand things without having to say anything. And it's a reaffirmation of, of what you had done. You know, you're like, hey, mm-hmm. younger Keith, good job. You, you, you nailed it. This, yeah. is, this is definitely one thing that it's not a... Hey, let's let's learn from our mistakes. This is like, hey, this is one of the things that we did right, and uh, yeah, good job yeah. on that, my young man. Exactly. So yeah, exa- exactly. exactly. This podcast wouldn't exist uh, without you doing that, and it always tripped me out too. I was like, oh, you're the writer. Oh, writers can be an artist, Ali, and it's like, and it always catches me off guard because a lot of times, a lot of places, they have a strict rule against that, mm-hmm. and and honestly, I think it's kind of weird. Like if you have a product. And you, you're able, like, if worst case scenario, you should have a writer's corner. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, someone had said this to me once. Um, there was a mix-up at Comic-Con. He was trying to use his buddy's table, but he let Comic-Con know he wasn't going to be there. But he also told his buddy, and his buddy tried to take it, but they they gave it to me. Mm. And so I was trying to move in, and he was there. And he came back down. He went upstairs to clear it all up. Worked in my favor, obviously, because they already given me the table, and he was not supposed to be there. Yeah. But he goes, "Hey, man, no sweat, no big deal. Apologize for the mix-up, but I just got great, great feedback, great conversation. There's might be a writer's block at Comic Con. He came up with the name Writer's Block. Nice. I was like, oh, that's such a great name for a writer section of a comic convention. And it's because yeah, yeah there's fucking yeah. tons of writers out there that have their own books. They're they're creators too. So why yeah. why can't they have their own section where they sell their own books and and so um, you know yes. I, th- I think that's pretty cool and I'm and I'm glad that you did go that route and we're able to get into so many artist alleys to where we were able to table and you know now we're we're best buds and we're doing podcasts together so yeah I was I I, th- I think it was more that I was so stupid that I didn't realize that I wasn't an artist <laughs> you know it was just like okay <laughs> sure I mean I I write this book that seems good enough <laughs> you know. Um, I always have my share of conversations where people ask me to draw stuff and I'm like, I can't draw anything, man. I can't draw anything. There was a, there was a brief, Uh, I can draw, I can draw a conclusion. Exactly. Exactly. There's a brief period where I tried to, exactly, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so that was about it. That was about it. So, um, so that, I think that's it for the episode, man. Let's, um, Let's talk about where people can find us. So in terms of websites, um, I have the website KeithRFoster.com. It not only has the Kadoja store, but also some blog posts. I try to keep that current with some new things. So again, KeithRFoster.com. And you can also check out the, uh, some some of my articles at iHorror.com. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com and pick up any of our Accidental Alien titles. 
I'm in all of the anthologies that we have for sale there, t-shirts, stickers, all that stuff. Those are also there. But you can also find Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda. Those are two titles that I created. Uh, I do the art for. And my writer, Ed, who's mentioned quite a bit on this podcast, obviously, because we're talking about making comics, um, he writes the stories. So look for Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda on AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah. And for Instagram, there's Keith underscore Decibel. That's me taking photos of myself in bookstores, I guess, and drinking beers and things like that. I Dude, boy, am I editing that out. Boy, am I editing that out. Just keep, just keep saying it. Just keep saying it because it's not going anywhere. It's just, it's getting said right now and then I'm just editing it out. Like, I got, you are doing this for only your own entertainment right now. It's true. It's either I say them to you in person or I say it to a, to you and uh, Gary in our group yes, chat. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and then, of course, Kadoja Kaiju is the Instagram handle for Kadoja. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, uh, F-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. I am there. Keith also... <laughs> Unfortunately, Sorry, you're glitchy, but own. you're laughing, so that means you probably made. Yep, it's true. 100% I made. Yeah, I'm just going to cut that out. I'm going to cut it all out. It's fine. I'm probably going to cut fine. out the entire outro at this point. I, I don't even know what, what of the outro is worth keeping. <laughs> so, Who knows? All right, man. So, Who knows? So I've probably, I've probably queued up the music by now. So um, we will see you all next week. So, oh, hey, if you have any um questions any comments anything you'd like us to discuss quote on the air then we have the email making comics podcast at gmail.com so hit us up and uh and we'll answer your questions and with that we will see you next week so we're out